Okay, well, welcome once again to our Wednesday night service. If you're joining us for the first time ever, my name is Pastor Dennis. Uh, I am the pastor of Calvary Chapel Arrowhead here in Peoria. And we are a people of God blessed by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. And it is our desire to edify you, to build you up, and to strengthen you in your faith. That's our desire. Have a couple of things to announce before we get into the actual study. For those of you who are teaching your children through the Awana curriculum, we have your books and workbooks here. So if you want to come by sometime this evening after the service, Welcome to do so. We'll dress up Thorson in his In-N-Out Burger uniform, and he'll be standing at the curbside to hand it to you. Okay? Secondly, uh, Easter Sunday, which is what, two weeks away? The 12th. The 12th, that's right. The message is going to be in Acts chapter 1, and the title of it is, He Came Once, and He's Coming Again. And that is our hope. That is our firm conviction of a certain occurrence. It's going to happen, and it may be sooner than we think. Amen? Here, there, or in the air. All right. Now, having said that, would you please open your Bibles to the book of Colossians, and we're going to continue on our expository study of Colossians, but tonight we're going to cover verse 19. The last time I met with you in this book, we covered verses 18, where it talks about the wife submitting to her husband. And we explored that in depth. And if you would like to get the CD of that, contact us, or you can go online. I believe it's archived. But today, we deal with the husbands. We deal with the men. You know, it's been said that there's nothing more important than relationships and nothing more frustrating either. It's like when they say, you know, you can't choose your relatives and you can't shoot them, right? And that's true. It's been said that when people get married, she never gets what she expects and he never expects what he gets. All right, and there's no one smiling in here because I'm looking at two men who are single that totally do not understand that, but uh, Vince is over there shaking his head, and Carly is elbowing him. All right. In this time of the coronavirus, uh, many relationships are going to be strained. Things are okay in households that have some tension, as long as you can be apart for a good amount of the time and you don't have to deal with the tension. But now with the stay at home order that we're receiving, we see that many relationships are being strained. Um, it's hard. There's nothing, like I said, more, more rewarding than relationships and nothing more frustrating. Many marriages have slipped into a mediocre experience at best when there is so much more if partners would just obey the word. In today's culture, what the Bible teaches is counterintuitive, it's archaic, it's sexist, it's oppressive to women. And I say to the critics who say that, 
The same thing that Bo Diddley said to said about that pro athlete Bo Jackson back in the day in the 89 Nike commercial, you don't know Diddley. You don't understand. When it works, it works very well. Very harmonious, very peaceful. Everybody is fulfilled. Look at the world around you and you look at the effectiveness of today's relational advice. What do you see? Like Dr. Phil likes to ask, so how's that working for us? Not so good by what I can see. Now again, last week we we dealt with a very controversial subject of a wife submitting to the husband's leadership. And it's not a matter of who's superior, it's a matter of whose role belongs to whom. And as I said, when it's done right, it's a beautiful thing to behold and a wonderful thing to experience. But when it's wrong, and when it's done wrong, when men abuse the word of God, when wives choose to be rebellious, it can be hell on earth. It can be the worst thing you've ever experienced. When it comes to the issue of submission, Though the woman is told directly to submit unless it involves abuse, illegal activity, or immoral behavior, the whole act of submission actually starts with the man. If he's exercising godly servanthood leadership, submission starts with the man. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. First word is husbands. Are you a man? Are you married? Are you married to a woman? Then you are a husband. So now we know who he's talking to, okay? This focus is on you. And he says to love your wives. First thing to be noted about that phrase in the Greek grammar is that this is a command. It's a command to the hearer to perform a certain action by the order and authority of the one commanding. And the command is, husbands, love your wives. What does he mean? Well, there are four words in the Greek for love. Eros, storge, phileo, and agape. Eros means romantic, physical, intimate type love. Storge, a motherly type love and phileo a brotherly type love and each one of those have at its core how you feel how you feel they describe an instinctive love a love that comes spontaneously from the seat of the emotions or from the heart now Paul assumes here that eros that desire and phileo that fondness are present in the relationship Not always, but um, we assume that it is here for the husband. Well, Christians should not act as if these things don't matter in the marriage. They do matter. But Paul's real point is to address a higher kind of love, a superior type of love, and that is agape. Agape is a love more of decision than of the heart. It's as much a matter of the mind as it is the heart because it chooses to love especially the undeserving. 
um, William Barclay in his commentary says agape has to do with the mind. It is not simply an emotion which rises unbidden in our hearts. It is a principle by which we deliberately live. Notice that, a principle by which we deliberately live. That means you are intentional about it. Agape really doesn't have much to do with feelings. It has everything to do with decisions that you make. Agape can be defined as a sacrificial giving, absorbing love. The word has little to do with how you feel. It has more to do with self-denial for the sake of the one you love. It's a love that loves without changing. It's a self-giving love that gives without demanding or expecting repayment. It's a love so great that it can be given to the unlovable or unappealing, and it is the love that loves when it gets rejected. Agape love gives and loves because it wants to. It does not demand or expect repayment from the love that is given. It gives because it loves. It does not love in order to receive. John 3.16, when it says, For God so loved the world, it's the agape type of love. It's a love that he chose to give us. Now, fortunately, the Bible gives a more detailed definition of this kind of love. So why don't you turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13, and let's read verses 4 through 8 together. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. Some of you have this passage memorized, right? Verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. Now what I want to do here is put my name everywhere it says love. And I'm going to read the passage from the New Living Translation and just see just how, how well this fits me, you know. I think it's going to fit me like a glove. What do you think? Dennis suffers long and it's kind. Dennis does not envy. Dennis does not parade himself and he's not all puffed up. Dennis isn't selfish or quick-tempered. He doesn't keep a record of wrongs that others do. Dennis rejoices in the truth, but not in evil. Dennis is always supportive, loyal, hopeful, and trusting. Dennis never fails. Okay, you don't know me, but my, life, my wife is rolling on the floor right now with laughter. Okay, doesn't fit. And I dare to say that you probably don't fit either, and you know that. How about Jesus? Let's put his name there. Okay, Jesus is kind and patient. 
He's never jealous, boastful, or proud. He's never rude. He's never selfish or quick-tempered. He doesn't keep a record of wrongs that others do. He rejoices in the truth, but not in evil. He is always supportive, loyal, hopeful, and trusting. And Jesus never fails. Perfect fit. Absolutely fits. If the glove fits, you must acquit, right? This fits our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and it's the love with which he has loved us. And since we know that the Holy Spirit is conforming us into the image of Christ to be more like him, this is what he's drawing us to. And when he says in Colossians 1.19, love your wives, that's what he's talking about. Now, understand where it says in, in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 13, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I've become sounding brass or a clinging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains even, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but not have love, that agape love that I just described, it profits you nothing. You can have miraculous spiritual gifts. You can have a gift of prophecy, and you can have faith where you can move mountains, and you can give everything you have to bestow upon the poor, but if you don't have agape-style love, it profits you nothing. If all you got is phileo or storge, it profits you nothing. Without love, you won't have what it takes to go the distance, guys. That's what I'm trying to say. To enjoy the closest human relationship possible without agape love, you're not going to make it. Good news is, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Agape, love. That is what is going to come out of your lives as you abide in Christ. Now, if you didn't know the Greek definition of agape, you could read that passage about love and think Paul is saying, husbands, just be nice to your wives. Be kind to them, all right? And there's no doubt that in many marriages, that definitely would be an improvement. But what he really means is husbands continually practice self-denial for the sake of your wives. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. The classic passage where wives are taught to submit to their husbands. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Are you there? Yeah, I see you, Sherry, shaking your head. Good. All right. Husbands, who are the husbands? The men that are married to one wife, right? And the wife is a female. That's a husband. Love your wives. There it is again, the imperative in the Greek. It's a command. Love them just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, last time we were in Colossians, we came to this section of Scripture and we established the husband's authority and the wife's command to submit to that authority. 
But now the emphasis moves to the supreme responsibility in the relationship. The supreme, supreme responsibility of husbands in regard to their wives is to love them with the same unreserved, selfless, sacrificial love that Christ had, has for his church. Christ gave everything, including his life, for the sake of his church. And that's the standard of sacrifice for a husband's love of his wife. Now, if you hear that, you might throw up your hands and say, man, if that's what it's all about, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can live that sacrificially. Well, you're probably not. But that is the goal, gentlemen. And that is the direction and the expectation. And you don't have to fret so much about it as the Holy Spirit will direct you in it. All you need to do is obey. Remember John 15, 5. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And Philippians 4.13 is still in the Bible. I can do all things through Christ. And in John 15.7, Jesus said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you. And by the way, that's how you know if you're abiding in Christ. Is his words abiding in you? Are you loving your wife as Christ loved the church? He says, You will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Well, what you should desire if you're godly is a more Christ-like attitude. And that will be developed in you. Okay? Verse 28 says, Ephesians 5, Husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. So, how do you love your wife? You love your wife just as Jesus loves you, and Jesus loves the church. And the hallmark of his love is sacrificial love. Okay? The Garden of Eden, John Corson said this. The Garden of Eden, the first Adam parted with a bone. On the hill of Calvary, the last Adam poured out his blood. At creation, the first Adam gave something of himself, and on the cross, the last Adam gave all of himself. That means if I'm to love my wife as Christ loved the church, I'll love her to the point where I die to my own dreams, my own desires, my own wishes. In other words, I'll love her to death, my death. I want to give you an example from my own life. And I'm sharing this not because I'm something that should be emulated or I'm asking you to follow my example or I want you to see the gold star that God put on the refrigerator for me. But to show you that it's hard but can be done and it does bear good fruit. Before we were married and when we got married, my dream was always to be in the ministry full time. Someday to be a pastor. And Sherry knew that but she never wanted to be a pastor's wife, ever. I wasn't too, I, di I didn't know that, or if I did, I didn't realize to what extent she opposed it. But when the opportunity came to pastor a church in another city, she dug in her heels. Now I know the word, I know Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, that she is supposed to submit to me, and that I could scripturally force my hand in this, all right? 
but the better part of valor was to die to my dreams and to pray. And when it was right, she would be on board. Another opportunity came, and again, she dug in her hill. She wanted nothing to do with it, and so I passed on that too. And then Arrowhead came, and she was delighted for it, and uh, see how blessed you all are now? All right? What if she had never submitted to this? Well, then I'd have a choice. I could go against her wishes and live with the consequences of a disgruntled wife. Throw out the uh, happy wife, happy life theory. It's gone. <laughs> All right? And she, she would just have to deal with it. But wouldn't I be disobeying God? Not necessarily. God instituted marriage before he instituted ministry. And I believe God knows my heart, and he'll reward me for it. Would it be a sin if I had gone ahead and pursued the ministry? No, not necessarily. I just would have had a lot of drama with my baby's mama, if you know what I mean. I've seen a lot of pastors sacrifice their family on the altar of ministry. And I never wanted to be one of those. That's between them and the Lord and them and their families. But my conviction was that I'm here teaching the word of God of how to keep families together. And one of the biggest things that I see tearing up families is the husband's overworking and not home and being there for his family. So I felt like a hypocrite if I was doing the same thing but teaching otherwise. But my conviction is, you know, I'm not going to lay my family down on the altar of ministry. That's my conviction. And Romans 4, 5 says, let each be fully convinced in his own mind. The principle I choose to obey was to love my wife and submit to her needs. Okay. So anyway, firstly, husbands, you need to demonstrate sacrificial love if you're going to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Secondly, Loving my wife as Christ loves the church demands I love her unconditionally. Jesus doesn't love us only if we're good boys and girls, only if we have morning devotions, or only if we tithe. He loves us, period. And I'm to love my wife in the same manner. I'm not to love her only if she makes good meals or laughs at my jokes or if she pleases me. I'm not to love her only if she submits to me and respects me. I'm to love her, period. Husbands say, well, I'd be glad to show my wife some love if she showed me some respect. It's not what it says. Sacrificial love says you love her, period. And if she has trouble submitting to you, loving her that way, sacrificially, well, that lady's got issues. All right, she's got problems. Submission is rarely, if ever, a problem when a man loves his wife as Christ loves the church. And according to Paul, the best thing you can do for yourself, husband, is to love your wife. Loving your wife is actually better for you than working out, fixing up your man cave, landscaping the backyard, playing pickleball, climbing the corporate ladder, or binge-watching past NBA playoff series. Love is a verb. It's an action. It's not a feeling. It's something you choose. 
to do. This is a call for the highest form of love, which is rendered selflessly. Okay. All right, we've got time. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. And we want to look, take one last look at loving your wife sacrificially. Okay? 1 Peter 3 sevens. 3 sevens? <laughs> Isn't that a jackpot? Yeah, okay. I just, you know where my head's really at, okay? 1 Peter 3 7. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. All right. The second word in that verse, likewise, means in the same way, in like manner, and it's referring to the topic of submission, which begins in chapter 2. So look at chapter 2. Look at verse 13. Peter is discussing behaving honorably before non-believers, and he says in verse 13, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. And then in verse 18, he says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. And then in verse 21, he says, For to you, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us. In other words, he submitted to the Father's will. Remember that prayer that he said in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me, but nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. Submission. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, carrying on the same theme, he says, wives, likewise, likewise, remember what likewise means? In the same manner, in the same way, in the same way servants are to be submissive to the masters, and therefore, and the way we're supposed to be submissive to the ordinances of men, and the way Christ was submissive to the Father, wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. And then to husbands, in verse 7, it says, husbands... In the same way, in like manner, being submissive, dwell with them. You get it? And likewise. Husbands, likewise. In the same way. In the same way, wives are to be submissive to you. The same way Christ was submissive to the Father. The same way servants are to be submissive to their masters. The same way we are to submit ourselves to the ordinances of men. In the same way, in like manner, being submissive, dwell with them. That's dwell with your wife, with understanding. Giving honor to your wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Submission is the responsibility of a Christian husband just as it is with the wife. You go back to Ephesians chapter 5, and before you get to 22, there's a verse before that. That's called verse 21, because it comes before verse 22. And it says, submit one to another in the fear of God. Submit one to another. And then when you get to verse 22, that word submit isn't even in the Greek in the original. It just says like, likewise, it's implied that the wives are to submit to their husbands. So before there is submission of the wife to the husband, there needs to be, if this is going to work right, and if you're going to really enjoy the benefits of it all, mutual submission to one another. 
And if one of the partners is given the responsibility to take the first move, it's the husband. We're not submitting to our wives as the leader of our home, guys. A believing husband must submit to the loving duty of being sensitive to her needs and fears and feelings. In other words, a Christian husband needs to be subordinate, needs to, excuse me, to subordinate his needs to her needs, whether she's a Christian or not. Why? Well, Paul says because, one, she's the weaker vessel. She's equal in Christ, not inferior spiritually because she's a woman. She's physically weaker in need of, of protection, provision, strength from her husband. Now, I know a lot of women's hair just went up on the back of her head, but I'm just telling you the truth. I'm not here to justify it. I am speaking it. Secondly, you subordinate husband your needs to hers because you're heirs together the grace of life. That means both of you have an inheritance in the best relationship earthly life has to offer. This is a call for the husband to cultivate companionship and fellowship with his wife. And thirdly, you subordinate your needs, men, because of hers to hers because your prayers might be hindered. Now this refers specifically to the husband's prayer for the salvation of his wife. But such a prayer would be hindered if you were not respectful of her needs and fellowship. I also believe it hinders your prayer life in general. When you're not treating your wife with sacrificial love, I believe that God will hold you at arm's length until you clear that area up. All right. Let's go back to Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Husband. Men, it's a command from Paul the Apostle. He says for you to sacrificially love your wife and don't be bitter toward them. That word bitter is picreno. It means to show a deep-seated resentment toward another. The form of this Greek verb is better translated... <laughs> Drum roll, please. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know it's behind me. I want it in front of me. <laughs> the form of this Greek verb is better translated. Stop being bitter. Or do not have the habit of being bitter. <clears throat> I know relationships where bitterness is the key word describing the household for many years sometimes. 
Psalm 46, and I think it's verse 10. It's, God says, peace, be still, and know that I am God, right? And though it sounds like it's an invitation to softly come into the presence of God and lay on a, a silk mattress with a silk pillow, it's not. It's actually in the Hebrew a rebuke. Stop it. Stop it. Be at peace because I am God. Husbands, stop it. Stop being bitter. You're going into the presence of God. You're praying. You're seeking him. You want him to fill you life. You want to have one of those intimate experiences with the creator of your soul and you got this bitterness going on and rancor and, and as you are trying to pray and enter in, you can't because your mind won't shut off. And it won't shut off because you won't shut it off. You won't choose to change what you're thinking about. And God says, stop it. You've got this habit of being bitter. Husbands must not be harsh or angrily resentful towards their wives. They must not use caustic, cutting sarcasm or swear at them or scream or shout or even give them, I'm ticked off and you need to figure out why, silent treatment. Now they say that's more of a feminine trait, but I'm not so sure. Don't become passively aggressive toward them. Try to get back at them by deliberately doing little things that tick them off. You know, washing, dropping dishes before you put them in the dishwasher because they feel you're just incompetent, so get out of the way and I'll do it. Things like that. Don't make them walk on eggshells around you because you get set off so easily. Don't be negative and pessimistic at whatever they try to accomplish. Don't constantly criticize and give half-hearted effort in whatever you do for them. Make it known by your attitude and actions that something's wrong and it's their fault. Don't always be negative at whatever they try to do to please you. and Don't always try to find fault in something they do. Paul's giving you a command by the authority of his apostleship. It's as if Jesus is standing in front of you looking at you eye to eye, arms crossed and eyebrows raised. And you might be tempted to say, but Lord, it's the woman you gave me. That was Adam's thing, right? Now, to be honest, the implication in verse 9 is perhaps the wife has given the husband some reason to be bitter. And you say, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. You know what Paul says to you? Doesn't matter, dude. Doesn't matter. You may feel perfectly justified in your harsh or unloving attitude and actions towards your wife, but you're not justified. No matter how the wife has been towards you, you love her as Christ loved the church. If Christ loves you the way you love your wife, how long would you be in a relationship with him? Agape loves even when there are obvious and glaring deficiencies, even when the receiver is unworthy of love. 
People become bitter whenever expectations are unrealistically high. And husband, your wife is never going to be God for you. She will never satisfy your deepest longings. Only the Lord can do that. And only the Lord can satisfy her. It works both ways. Truly, if you love the Lord with all your heart, you'll have no reason to be bitter with your wife. Remember, your wife has just as much a difficult command to follow in submitting to your leadership as you do in loving her as Christ loves the church. And she is no less responsible for obeying that command as you are in obeying Christ's command to love her. So, in the words of that prophet whose name I don't remember, suck it up, buttercup. Put your big boy pants on and die to yourself. You know, if people could just understand this principle. If you want to be reconciled with your husband or reconciled with your, with your wife, with your wife, somebody has to die. And you go, oh, I've been thinking about that. To reconcile us to God, Jesus Christ died on the cross. To reconcile a relationship, somebody in the relationship needs to die. But that's so unfair. Hey, whatever. That's the truth. And you might be surprised. You might be surprised how obedience brings on unexpected blessings. There's a story that James Dobson tells of a couple who had been married for about 17 years, and it was about over. The guy was actually married to his career, and he pretty much ignored his wife and treated her like garbage and neglected her something terrible. And she had enough. She had an affair with another person on the worship team at her church. They fell in love, and it was the kind of love that she always craved. Now, when the husband found out, instead of divorcing her, he turned himself around and began loving her as Christ loved the church. He worked very hard at winning her back. She went for counseling, and the elders of her church wisely told her she needed to end the affair and return to her husband. And amazingly, and this rarely happens, guys, she did it. She obeyed. And she said that for the first year of her husband trying to win her back, she felt nothing for him. Same with the second year, nothing. He kept at it, having no success. But somewhere during the third year, she said the old feelings of infatuation and love on all levels began to return. And now, they're very happily married. And as far as I know, last heard, they were counseling troubled marriages at their church. Guys, are you listening? Obedience brings about unexpected blessings. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Be not bitter against them. All right? I'm going to close with this verse, Ecclesiastes 9.9. 9. And Dottie, do you want to come on up? 
And I'm going to read to you from the New Living Translation because I think it's kind of humorous. Ecclesiastes 9.9 Live happily with the woman you love through all the meaningless days of life that God has given you. Okay, am I the only one that finds that humorous? The wife God gives you is your reward for all your earthly toil. Live happily with the woman you love. The wife God gives you is your reward for all your earthly toil. If I just offended you, it's uh, Pastor Dennis at CalvaryChapelRoad.com. All right. Let's pray. Father, you never give us a command to do something that you will not empower us to do. And you are love. And you call us to love one another. When we ask people to finish the statement, God is, they usually say, God is love. And they're right. Agape love, a selfless love, a kind, joyful, peaceful, faithful, gentle love. And this is what you call to us, call us to. And it's what you develop in us as we abide in Christ and allow his words to abide in us. So, Father, for marriages in our fellowship, I ask that the couples would not give up on it, but would launch out once again to be obedient to your word. And I pray, Father, that you would answer it with the joy that they haven't experienced before. Let love abound between husbands and wives. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We're going to finish with this song, Everlasting God.